0: If you're new here, I'm sorry, this might be a lot for you. It probably will be. But as most of you know, I was a school teacher, and an elementary school teacher, and so I thought it'd be fun today to do a pop quiz. Uh huh. Okay, I just wanna see what I'm working with here today. Before I teach the lesson, I wanna see what you guys can do. Don't get scared. Either you know this or you don't. It's not a pass, fail thing, anything. Uh, but since you're all adults, I think you probably need to be just slightly prepared because control issues are hard to give up. And so I'm going to prep you a little bit. Uh, Diego's my teaching assistant. Assistant, he's going to come up and help me. And sound people, can you make sure I think that this mic is on? Yes. Check. Okay. Okay. He's going to hold that. You'll see what's going on in a minute. Okay. I have I have a button that makes some noise, and I want to see. How each of you and how Redeemed Church as a whole responds to it. Okay? This is a 30 second quiz on how much of your inner child remains. Okay? Raise your hand if you're ready. Yeah. Okay? Diego, are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. All right? Okay. (laughs) I'm gonna count to three and you are going to push. This button, okay? We'll see how you respond. One, <laughs> two, three. Dance party. Come on. Yes, I see you. Wow. Okay, good. A plus. <laughs> Woo! <Come on>. Yes. <laughs> It's a long time, it's good, feel good, stand up. Yes, okay, good job. We've got a little bit of groove here. <laughs> um, <laughs> all fun aside, this idea, it's not, it's not my own. Um, it's actually what we did at <laughs> Young Life Camp. Um, Diego is our youth director. Here at Redeemed Church and we partner with Young Life if you're familiar and we go on um, a youth uh, camp for a week and they do this skit and randomly throughout the weekend they push the dance party button and everybody gets going crazy um, <laughs> I think we have a little clip for you I want to show you next slide if you can if not then we have the oh, picture. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Will it work? It's okay. It's okay. That's totally fine. You know what? Young kids, you don't have to prompt them at all. I mean, 613 through 19, the moment you hit that button, you don't have to prep them. They are up and gone, and it was just a blast. And so I thought that would be fun to do today. And it's because I get the opportunity to teach on a concept or a term that comes up pretty often in Christian conversations. It's just part of the jargon. I mean, if you're talking with a Christian and this concept comes up, you're like, yeah, I know what that means. And it's actually really simple to understand. Um, it probably falls under the same category as love God, love others. Like, yeah, we got that one. Bible basics, right? Bible basics are Bible 101. But, Before you check out and think this this is going to be a simple concept, I don't really need that. It's the simplest things, intellectually speaking, that have have the hardest time of taking root in our hearts, where the fruit comes from. And so the uh, topic that I'm going to be speaking to you on today is childlikeness, okay? Childlike faith. And so let me remind you of this series that we are doing. If you are new, we are going through the Book of Mark. And it's called The Way of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Kurt taught on the transfiguration of Jesus out of chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. And as you've heard him say, gosh, I'm still out of breath. <laughs> and I work out, kind of. Um, he, that's, that was verses 1 through 13. And if this is jumping ahead to chapter 10, 13 through 16. And the reason why we're skipping over is only because the month of July, I am taking some time off to rest and travel. And this is the passage that I was interested to teach. We have a teaching team of four people, five people, if you include my husband, John. And when we go over this series, we just choose what we'd like to teach. And this was a passage that I wanted to teach on. And so if we followed it chronologically in order of Mark, this won't, this will put us in July. So we're skipping ahead, but Pastor Kurt will go back and resume after the transfiguration of Jesus in the book of Mark. Um, and, um, but before, um, so if you have your Bibles, or on, all the verses will be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16 today. And uh, before we get started, I'd, I'd love to pray. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the fun in this room. Thank you, Lord, that there seems to be a lot of child-likeness remaining in us. And Holy Spirit, you have um, revealed so much to me, and whatever I've prepared, Lord, if it's not what you want me to say, Holy Spirit, nudge me and I'll, I'll take it out. And Lord, if there's something that you want me to say, nudge me, and I'll be attuned to your spirit and put it in. Lord God, and I pray for each person in this room that um, upon hearing uh, the word that they are pierced to the heart, that they see how you are speaking to them individually, and also uh, as a church body. We trust in you and we love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Okay, I want to set the scene for you. If you're new to this series, um, Jesus has been with some some of his disciples now for about three years. And Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip have been with him the longest. They were called first, and they're going on about three years with him. Um, they've listened to countless hours of Jesus' teachings. And if you've been following along in our sermon, this is in our sermon series. This is a, this will be sermon number 26. And we try to keep it 30, 40, 45 minutes, so you're looking at 25 hours under the teaching of Jesus via the Book of Mark, via the teaching team here. And I'm wondering if you feel like a disciple of Jesus yet? Do you feel like the way of Jesus is becoming part of the way in your life? Yeah, good. Uh, in this passage we'll be looking at today, we're gonna to see that some of the disciples, even after three, nearly three years with him, um, aren't still completely aligned with him yet. And maybe you feel the same. This is normal. Discipleship takes time, but Jesus doesn't have much face-to-face time with them left. He is about a week and a half, two weeks away from the cross at this point in our in our study. And he is going to take every single opportunity to, to for these teachable moments with the disciples. He's keeping his priorities aligned with the priorities of heaven, with the kingdom of heaven. And um, even though the disciples might be putting some pressure on him, he is not going to waste the teachable moments that are coming up on their journey south to Jerusalem. That's where we are. They are headed south to Jerusalem. And like if you're following chronology, uh, if you look at uh, websites that have the events of Jesus' ministry, there are about 50 major events. And the road south to Jerusalem is about event number 38. So we're getting really close. Um, we're going to see the disciples behave in a way that we think we might never behave if we were one of them. But remember, some of his disciples, they were called at the age of, some of them, 13 years old. They were children themselves, right? And so they're kind of, they're, they're, they're acting out of hand a little bit, and Jesus is going to rebuke them, we're going to see in our passage. Um, but he understands where they are developmentally. Okay? These are teenage, teenage guys we're, we're, we're dealing with, you know? And so we got to give them give them some grace um but we're going to see it also in this passage jesus getting indignant he's highly he's this is one of his deep emotions and he's probably responding to them just like a parent would of teenagers um indignant means displeased by the way And um, we're going to be looking at the emotionality of Jesus throughout this message. And I hope to follow this thread throughout, because I think it's important that when we see, um, when we come across a passage that Jesus is deeply emotional, we should pay attention to it. And um, just for your, you you know, to get a good look at it overall, these are some deep emotions that Jesus felt in the book of Mark. We see him being irritated and stern indignant the other time he became indignant is when a leper asked him to heal him he said are you willing if you are willing to heal me and he's indignant because he's like yes of course i'm willing to heal you like i am jesus i i want to heal you we see him getting angered there's profound sadness and grief that we see in jesus in the book of mark he we see him sighing um distress that's coming up in the holy week and all throughout the book of mark we we see him being compassionate and tender So let's go ahead and open up to our passage today. It's 13 through 16. I'm reading out of the ESV Bible for the most part today. Verse 13, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, the parents. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them." I'm titling this message, The Greatest Invitation. And I wanna narrow down a bit this title because it's the greatest, most extravagant invitation for believers. It's the most prized invite a follower of Jesus could ever receive, but it's really the second greatest invitation that Jesus gives. The first one is for all people, and we see this in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This invite states that every person, no matter what they've done, where they live, who they are, what color of skin they have, what their age is, anyone who believes, who chooses to believe that Jesus is the son of God and chooses to receive his saving grace as payment for their sins, gets to live eternally with Jesus as a child of God. There's no other greater invitation than that. Believe and you will live. Now, the invite that I am talking about today is probably the most significant, priceless invitation from Jesus to believers, to all of those who have accepted the first invite. And it's this invite to childlikeness, to receive the kingdom of heaven like a child would, in order that it may belong to you. Why am I using this language of invitation? Well, number one, it's for two reasons. You can choose to accept this invitation or not. And because there's going to be a party, (laughs) there's going to be a dance party, and that party is called the kingdom of heaven. And that's what I want to focus on first, the reason why I or you would choose to accept this invite to be like a child. And I can't help but throw a basketball analogy in. Uh, I get to speak about four times a year, and I think I've done that every time I've spoken. I throw in a basketball analogy. And okay, it's this. Yeah, Uh, why would you choose to learn to shoot a three-pointer with a defender in your face? Or why would you choose to work on ball handling skills? Or why would you run intense defensive plays with other people? Because the game is so fun. The game is so fun to play because winning and becoming state champs, which I was part of a team that did is amazing. It's the best party, but you don't get to experience that by playing video games on your couch. Yeah, you can go to the game, you can get entrance into the game, but you're not participating in the game. And the game is the kingdom of heaven. I'll get back to this topic, but before we dive into what Jesus meant when he said to receive the kingdom like a child, let's look at what the kingdom of heaven is like, according to Jesus. We find out what the kingdom of heaven is like in parables that Jesus used to teach about it. And it's important to note here when he chose to teach about the kingdom of God. If you look at the chronological, chronological timeline of Jesus's ministry, Jesus did not teach about the kingdom of heaven until after all of his disciples were called to him. till so they were all with him. And it wasn't until he could point to an example of someone with childlike faith. This was, if you remember when I taught before, the woman with the issue of blood. This is an example of childlike faith. She goes, reaches out and touches his garment. She falls at his feet and he says, woman, your faith has made you well. This timing is absolutely fascinating to me when Jesus decides to talk about the kingdom of heaven. He is the best teacher that there ever was. This is awesome classroom practices, by the way. He waits until his entire classroom is with him before he teaches this very important concept. And he uses something that they already know to... uh, to build off of, to build this new concept. He can point and say, there you go. This was the woman, this was childlike faith. No, it doesn't say that in a scripture, but they saw it happen. And surely he talked about it like disciples, look, this is it right here. This is childlike faith. So the timing to me is amazing. It's perfect teaching practices. This is called scaffolding if you're a teacher. Yep. Uh, So he uses the form of parables to teach about what the kingdom of heaven is like and how to receive and how to possess it. This first parable we're going to look at is in Matthew 13, and um, it's 31 through 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. To me, the kingdom of heaven is this nurturing garden. It starts out as a small seed and grows to become a tree that nourishes life. Another parable that Jesus uses to tell about the kingdom of heaven is 1333. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And this is the one that Pastor Kurt taught on a few weeks ago, very powerful message, check it out. This, to me, sounds like infiltrating power that is put within you and has the power to transform you. And Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. To me, this is a gold mine of the most precious, treasure, most precious element. And I love that Jesus gives us these images of the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the way that Jesus taught these, the emotions that he felt, the excitement, the passion, like guys, I just, I I could just see him sitting there and explaining the kingdom in these ways. And he doesn't say what the kingdom is. He says what it is like. And he wants us to keep in wonder because it's mysterious. This is the childlikeness that he's, he's, he's maintaining for them. He's not ruining it for them and saying, it's like this and this and this. It's like, it's like, and it's giving them, uh, it's allowing them to hold on to that childlike wonder. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that when you find it, you become filled with such a priceless joy that it will cause you to do whatever you need to do to keep that treasure in your possession. This is, this is big. And this next parable, it's similar to this one in that it makes you imagine that the search for the kingdom of heaven is like an adventure. Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. To me, the kingdom of heaven speaks to wonder, it speaks to adventure, it speaks to zeal. Someone who is on this great adventure to find a very rare treasure. And again, it's so priceless and precious that it causes you to cash it all in for this one thing. But how do you know when you have found a fine pearl, when you have found the treasure? You know, we see this all over the globe. People in search of things that they hope to add value to their lives. And we know that there is a spiritual realm and people are going to find something. But does this something that they find give them pure joy? Does it cause them to sell all that they own? These are the markers of it. The enemy is great at offering a knockoff of the real thing, but the Bible is clear. You won't even be able to recognize that you have found the real thing without the help of the Holy Spirit. John 3.3 3 says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. New life in Christ gives you new vision to perceive the kingdom of heaven, to recognize it with your new spiritual eyes and ears. So to recap, the kingdom of heaven is a nurturing garden. It's an infiltrating power or commentary. Say it's the rule of God over your life. It's adventure. It's zeal. It's excitement. It is a mine of the most precious treasure. And it's the presence of the glory of God that allows you to perceive and understand it. And maybe you haven't found the kingdom of of heaven yet. Or God. it's, It's synonymous, by the way. Or maybe you haven't sold all that you own to possess it, which is to say to make sure you're holding on to it. I'm here to tell you, and because those who have found the kingdom of heaven, we do not want you to miss out because the kingdom of of heaven is at hand now. Mm -hmm. I wish I understood this growing up. I really thought salvation was it, that heaven was the main prize, entrance into it. Let's look at Luke 17, 21 through 21, 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's within you. The kingdom of God isn't something that you have to wait for until your body dies. The kingdom of heaven is happening right now. Eternity started the moment you accepted that first invitation. And Kurt's message last week on the transfiguration was so beautiful. Essentially, he asked the question, do you want more of the presence of God in your life? Yes, you do, right? Well, Jesus' message in this passage today is the how. How? Can you receive more of the kingdom of heaven in your life? How can redeemed church as a corporate body receive wisdom, partnership, works to do, wonder, faith, adventure, zeal, more of the presence of God? It is through childlikeness. That's the answer. If you wanna experience the kingdom of heaven right now here in your life, this is the way. So obviously most of us are about 15 years removed from childhood, right? Yeah, or more. (laughs) More than that. I was being gracious. 20, 30, 40, 50. But do you remember when you played, you fell down, you took naps, you threw tantrums, you said the darndest things, you got dirty, were led by curiosity, zeal, and adventure, you wanted snuggles and hugs and kisses and handholds and treats? This is the business of childhood. But when we look at this list, we can see that kids really are not that useful. We really, yeah, we don't need them to be. And certainly the children that were brought to Jesus by their parents were not useful to him. The disciples felt this way. Jesus, we have better things to do. We're on the journey south. You're about to die. Don't stop for them. So what is this business of childhood really all about then? Well, in a healthy, loving family, the relationship between parent and child is the source of pure love and joy. But generally beyond that childhood is training in a nutshell. That's what it is. Parents training the child the way that in the way that they should go. Parents using external pressures to bring about an internal rightness. And this happens by being together parents and children in a close relationship with one another, learning about each other. And this is exactly what is at the center of the kingdom of heaven. It's having a personal relationship with Jesus, not necessarily being publicly useful to him. We don't put our babies to work. We might start teaching toddlers to do small things, but it's all for their learning, not for our usefulness. My son Finley now is nine, and I will say that there are tasks that he does that are very useful to me. He likes to earn money for Xbox stuff, so he'll do dishes, some laundry, and take out the garbage, but I waited until he was developmentally ready. And this might be a word for someone here today. If you are new in Christ, his role is to parent you, to train you up. Your role is to stay close to him and learn from him and his word. And then out of your closeness with him, you will want to become useful to jesus to do his work and he will send you out he will um sorry i'd like to give an example of what it's like to parent my daughter savannah she's eight years old and since she was a baby john can attest to this and most babies are like this there was moments of the day inconsolable she just needed to be held and rocked and that was her thing i thought okay it's a baby thing two year at two years old there was some days where it was like okay Redirecting doesn't work. Disciplining doesn't work. Time out nap doesn't work. What she needed was to be held close, tightly for a long period of time. And now at eight years old, she actually has this language because she knows this about herself. Mommy, when I feel this way, I just need you to hold me. And it's hard because sometimes she's done something wrong and I want to discipline and I want to say, go to your room. But I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I know this about my daughter. I need to take her, stop what I'm doing, take her in my arms, and I hold her for a long period of time. John, isn't this true about her? It's just the way she is. And I suspect that when she's a teenager, you know what? I'm going to grab her one day when she doesn't want you. I'm like, you need this. (laughs) (laughs) You need this. Hug. Um, She's like, no, that's so embarrassing. Um, But just like I know Savannah needs closeness, Jesus knows that we do too. And just like I am happy and honored to give her, the, her that emotional and physical and, um, and, and mental rest through hugs and closeness, Jesus is ready to give that to you too, to me too. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I have these moments with Savannah, I can feel her becoming lighter. And yes, she may have done something wrong. And so you know what else parents say to their kids? Say, you're sorry. Say so you won't hit your brother again. Right? Jesus knows repentance will make you lighter too. Matthew 3, 2 says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying, I want you to experience the kingdom of heaven right now. Repent, and you will. You will feel lighter. Do you?" He's saying, do you know that, I mean, sorry, he's saying repentance will heal you. It will make you lighter. And do you know that you can't or don't repent on your own? Out of the flesh, you do not repent on your own. This is the work of the Holy Spirit working in you. It is out of the kindness of Jesus that he wants you to to repent and to feel that lightness, to feel that freedom. In order to be led by the Spirit into all things, even into repentance, you have to be willing. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So as a child of God, we are to be humble and willing to go where he takes us. And yes, the Lord might take you to some unfamiliar places, some really tough places emotionally and maybe in physically, but he might take you to make some to some exciting ones. He will. Mm-hmm. Who has ever taken a kiddo to Disneyland or a young kiddo to the grocery store? Same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's an exciting and unfamiliar place. And what do parents do with small kids? They hold on to their hand so that they can you can lead them, keep them safe. And then naturally little kiddos are gonna get excited and distracted and they're gonna want to let go. Right? And that's okay. We let them go, we let them explore. This is what Jesus does with us a little bit. But what's fascinating fascinating about kids is that the moment they realize that they need their parent, they look around frantically for their that hand again. Children, childlikeness, it's almost this unconscious dependence it comes naturally to them. They desire to be led. They they trust easily. Even when they do really childish things. They just have this way about them. So let's this is another point that comes up often in this uh, uh t- this con- Christian concept of childlikeness. Let's not confuse childlikeness with childishness. God is not content with your childishness. <laughs> Childlikeness is not to be confused with childishness or spiritual infancy. He invites us to be childlike, but he tells us to be mature and to be wise in our thinking. When we first accepted Jesus, when we first believed in him, uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life, we become new creations. A new life in Christ is a spiritual infant. And from that place, we grow into spiritual maturity. Paul says in Philippians 3.15, let those of us who are mature think this way and if in anything you think otherwise god will reveal that to you also paul is saying here that those who are mature in christ are committed to jesus and the prize of heaven and those who are not yet or are, do not yet think this way god is committed to revealing the areas in your life where you are still led by your ego and pride god does not let you stay a spiritual infant as crazy as it sounds True spiritual maturity recognizes that until your dying day, until God is done completing his work in you, you will always be—you will always have areas of immaturity and imperfection. That's true spiritual maturity. We have not yet arrived. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says, Brothers, do not be infants in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. This takes renewal of the mind, learning to capture your thoughts, to think on things that are true and pure. And Jesus knows that this can take time, years to become childlike and spiritually mature. He in fact experienced this same journey. Luke 2 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If you choose to be led by the Spirit of God, you will simultaneously become more like a child and you will grow in wisdom. So to clarify, what childlikeness is. It is a spiritual posture. It is a clay posture formed by the potter. One of the most difficult disciplines of the Christian life is to allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to me into alignment with his teachings. I think Oswald Chambers says this. Our humility to seek God and to trust in him puts us into the right posture for God to form us. I have this illustration for you. By the way, I'm the queen of props. Okay? Who's familiar with model magic? Teachers, yes? Ooh. Elementary school teachers? I had to keep it. How to keep it wet, you know, so I could form it. Okay. This posture represents a bravado. Okay? Stubborn prideful, it represents all of the reasons why you can't or you're not going to accept or you won't accept Jesus' invite to be like a child or to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. It could be fear that's causing you to stand like this. Let's look at Isaiah 64, eight. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are Potter and all of us are the work of your hand. Jesus' power means that he came to make me into exactly what he teaches. If I am to be like a child, his spirit will make me childlike. Let me show you this process. I know it's a spiritual posture, but this is humility represented physically. And that's what happens. We go from proud to humble by the work of God's hands. But first, we have to accept his invitation to be like a child, which is to say humble, trusting, dependent, teachable, and obedient. 1 Peter 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Once the spirit of God gives you spiritual eyes and ears to perceive the kingdom of heaven, you must work not to be conformed by or influenced by your former self before you became a child of God. You must not let your ego or your pride or your personal agenda lead you. Which leads me to the next point I found in our passage. Prioritize proximity. Let's look at uh, the passage again on the screen and I'm gonna focus on the italicized part. Verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the dis- disciples rebuked the parents. but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, "Let the children come to me, do not hinder them." So some background on this part this was completely customary for children to bring for parents to bring up their children to the rabbis to receive a blessing. This would not have been an unusual scene. in fact, um, the disciples were this is and we're going to look at a verse in the Torah here in a moment, but the disciples' familiarization with the Torah might have been, the first five books of the, of the Bible, might have been part of the reason for Jesus' indignance. The disciples would have known the significance of this kind of blessing that the parents were bringing their children up for. Commentaries say that the disciples probably felt that Jesus had more important things to do and that this time could have been better spent with adults, and so they were letting their agenda lead them, but we see Jesus here prioritizing proximity and showing tenderness to the parents coming up to him to receive a blessing. We see this in Genesis 48:8 through 20, where Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to his father Jacob for a blessing. <clears throat> when Israel Jacob saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, so they were toddlers, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand. And brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn, and blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, indignant. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people and he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day. The right hand signified firstborn, fav- favored. They get the double inheritance, um, double portion of the inheritance because they are expected to raise, to take care for their their. their Mother and father in old age and the left hand was the lesser of the blessing but but he switched it and this was god's way of saying no 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 i'm not gonna let culture dictate my plans that was culture yeah rabbi brent gave me that line where are your brother no all right can't claim it so anyway parents coming up to jesus would be anticipating this and could potentially be anticipating which head which hand is Jesus going to bless my child with? This is really important. This was important to them, and the disciples are now rebuking the parents for coming up there. And, and then we see Jesus rebuking the disciples. And at this point, he issues two commands to remind them or to reveal to them and say, hey guys, let's remember what my kingdom prioritizes. My kingdom is not of this world, and this world prioritizes self and busyness and your emotional truth. But the kingdom of heaven prioritizes proximity closeness, relationship, and advancing the kingdom of God with his truth. So we see here that Jesus commands them to to do two things. To allow the children to come and to stop hindering them from doing so. And he knows that he's on the road to Jerusalem, that he has a week or so before he begins the hardest week of his life, the most painful, and yet he is not governed by fear. Or what if, consider this, what if Jesus needs some comfort himself because he knows what he soon will face and we know what the joy of holding a child can bring just puts you in a whole different world. And here's a picture I want to show you of, um, Brendan and, uh, Susie's baby. (laughs) I'm holding, uh, Emerson at a wedding the other Friday night. And oh my gosh, just holding her for like 40 minutes. It put me in a whole different space, comfort, peace and now i'm going to click like what if jesus needed that too what if he needed those children to sit on his lap and say Amen. this is how i'm going to be filled up in my spirit to be able to to go and do this hard work i'm going to be filled up with joy and peace and presence so whether jesus was honoring tradition or needing the love and joy that only a child can bring, we see Jesus continuing to keep his priorities aligned with the kingdom of heaven. And he says, in my words, this is my words, let them come to me. In fact, let me point out that this scene right here is the picture of how to access the kingdom of heaven. Do you see it? Come like a child and you will experience the kingdom of heaven on earth and in heaven. And this... I have another personal story. I hope I'm not going too long, but it's about Jojo. And this was a gift from God that God gave me in in preparation of this sermon. So this was Friday night as well. Thank you, Jesus. And the kids love to lay down with me because they know they're going to get their songs and they're going to get their prayers. And in these prayers are my moments of declaring what Jesus is, has called them to be. I say sweet things about them and they just melt. And I just give them gospel truths. And so I I thought Joseph, Jojo had kind of fallen asleep, and I was going on and on and on. Good stuff. And one of the things I always pray is that, Holy Father God, let my children at an early age hear the voice of your spirit. Early. I pray for that. And I finished, and I said, and I said Jojo, do you want to pray? It took a minute, and he goes, and he's my prayer warrior, mind you. He crosses his hands super seriously, and he says, Jesus, let my family speak to you. Let my family hear you, and he said something really personal about John, really personal about Finley. And he says, and give my sister Savannah, let her be courageous. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and this is I didn't even he didn't even know I was doing this sermon. He said, and help prepare my mommy to to do her sermon, let her do good. And I melted. I'm like, oh my gosh, my son is just, you know, made me cry. So he finishes his prayer, and I start crying, and I say. Jojo, your your, your prayer made me cry. And he sits for a moment and then all of a sudden he starts shaking. He's like, he's crying. He's crying like, Jojo, what's wrong? He's like, my heart is filled with so much joy. I feel so much happiness in my heart. And I said, are you scared, Jojo? And he goes, no, it feels so good. And I thought, Jesus, like that he was being touched by the Holy Spirit in that moment. And I'm like, this is it. This is what, it's a picture of true childlike faith. It's not, it's a posture for adults, yes. But you can believe it for your children too. It can happen. It can happen. The Holy Spirit takes over little children. So that's my, that's my story about him. And it does lead me to my final point here. When we come to him like a child, Jesus blesses us. Come, receive your blessing. If you are looking to have an experience with the divine, which is to say, Jesus, the Son of God, all you have to do is crawl up into his lap and suddenly you're going to become his whole world. And I can't claim that line. My friend Michelle said that, I'm part of a a women in ministry group called Propel Ecclesia, and she didn't know I was speaking on this. And she said, I was with Jesus the other day and I just crawled up into his lap and suddenly I could tell I was his whole world. And I'm like, yes, that's it right there. Thank you, Michelle. Let's uh, look again at verse 16. It says, And he took them, the children, into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And maybe you're saying, I can't go to Jesus like that. I can't come to him like a child. I don't know how to. I don't know how to let go of my control or my worry or my fear. I can't trust like that. I don't have faith like that. I have doubt. I have unbelief. And you know what Jesus says to that? He says, blessed blessed are the poor in spirit. That's right. He still blesses you anyways. Mark, um, Mark 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you have little faith, if you have worry, if you are doubt, you're poor in spirit. And he's saying you're, you're blessed. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, actually. Look at this list. If you mourn, Meekness, if you're hungry for thirst and righteousness. And down below, we talked about this in our prayer group today, our prayer time. Blessed are those if you are persecuted for acting childlikeness. Yours is the kingdom of heaven, actually. It's the opposite of the world. Childlikeness is coming to him in this kind of spiritual, physical, and emotional poverty. And he says, You are blessed. That's another principle of the kingdom of heaven, is poverty. Understanding your own poverty is what brings us into the posture of childlikeness. And when we are childlike, you get entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and it also belongs to you. You know, there's one more parable of the kingdom of heaven that I want to tell you about today. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, This is the burden of being a a teacher of the word, these hard truths. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And that place doubly weeping and gnashing of teeth, and this means profound regret. It's like this, like oh, mm, I could I coulda lived my life different. And I want to show you this. It's gonna lay it out, and there's gonna be people that are proud. Of all different, from all different nations, there's gonna be people that had a little bit of faith and held out their hand, like a little bit, Lord. There's gonna be people that fell onto their knees the last moment, yeah. like I see it, I believe it. Yeah. And then there's the humble, the childlike. That's you and I. We pray for that. First Corinthians. 510 says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil this is why Jesus gives us these invitations to believe in him and to be like a child he is so kind he is so gracious he wants to prepare us for the judgment seat that we will face if we accept the first invite to believe in him we get to enter heaven Salvation allows entrance into the kingdom of God. You're in. Salvation is a free gift from God, but your internal inheritance is different. This is your reward for living your life in humble obedience unto Jesus and for the ways that you were willing to advance his kingdom. The Bible is very clear about those who will not enter or inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5:19 through 21. Now the words of the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let me encourage you, if you struggle with some of this, the spirit of God can lead you right out of it. He will reveal it to you. That's his job. If you, are currently, if you currently do not have the spirit of God living within you, or if you're unable, unwilling to be formed and molded, then you might be stuck in some of this for a while. And this is why we pray first and foremost for the spirit of God to have his way in our church, have his way in your life, to have his way in our city and in our state. God, help our country. And maybe you're not aware, or maybe it's been a while since you've thought of this, but the Bible tells us what kinds of heavenly rewards will be given to the faithful. The victor's crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, crown of life. I'm really excited about these things, these rewards, but I am most grateful that God gives us access to the kingdom of heaven right now in this fallen world. I'm grateful that he pours out his presence. I can't, Imagine living my life without him. He's he's saying to us, look, be like a child. Come to me and I will bless you. I will give you joy. I will transform you. I will give you wisdom. If you're dependent on me, I will send you on adventures. And I will use you to heal in my name. I will show you that all of the earthly treasures don't hold a candle to the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. If you trust in me, I will give you my easy yoke to bear. I will take your cares and your burdens. I mean, it's endless. The kingdom of heaven is a gold mine. And he invites us to, do, all he invites us to do is to be like a child. And when we accept us, accept his invite, he will be the one to mold us. We don't mold ourselves. And for those of you who are mature, spiritually mature, you're like, yep, I'm living this childlike life. It's good. Awesome. What touched me here was now I get to teach my children about it. What touched me here is that I can always live even more more of a holy life. What touched me here is that I'm, living, I'm not living for this world today. I'm living for heaven. It just changes. It's an invite that I accept every single day. It's not one invite to be childlike and done. I wake up with his mercies are new every morning and he says, Would you like to be childlike today? Here's how. I'm going to lead you. Now, uh, this song that we're going to sing today, this is Providence of God. I wanted to pick a different song and I... I texted Kevin and I said, this is what I'm teaching on. Uh, How about this song? He's like, no, 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 I got, I got one for you. And it turns out, I guess his wife picked this song that's going to be coming up next. It's beautiful. God picked this set. God ordains all of these things. He works all these things out. So this song that we're going to sing, this is an invite for you. It's for you to come to Jesus. You can stay in your seat, but just, you know what? Just in your mind, come to Jesus, crawl up into his lap and let him bless you. Let me pray for us. Thank you for your beautiful invitation to be childlike and that you send out this invitation invitation every single day. I pray that each one of us in this room chooses to trust and to depend on you. You say that the kingdom of heaven causes a person to sell all that they have to possess it. Lord, I want this zeal and I want to see this zeal in Redeemed Church. I want everyone in this room to experience a fresh new zeal for God. So help us now, God, to come to you like a child. Help us to humbly desire you and to seek your blessings. Amen.